Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Vincent Buscemi podcast. If you're just kind of tuning in after a couple of missed episodes, I've changed a podcast name probably five episodes ago to the Dr. Vincent Buscemi podcast, the survival guide for dentists. When I look at all the people that are reaching out to me and the people that are watching and listening to my podcast, it's mainly dentists. I can't be upset about that. I'm a dentist. I had this idea that the content I was going to produce was going to be for general audience. It was going to be self-improvement, health, philosophy for the general audience. Because I wasn't sure if dentists wanted that information. But I can't get away from you guys. And that's probably okay. The funny thing about this podcast is my friends tease me that the name keeps changing over and over and over, but the content has never changed, even when my wonderful co-host Jessica Gall was with me and we did in person. This is almost two, three years ago now. It was still asking and trying to answer the same question, which was, what does it take to live a good life? What does it take to be successful? in dentistry, and in life. And I'm still trying to answer that question, but it's more focused on dentists now and doctors. It's healthcare. What does it take to be successful as a dentist? And this translates to other professions and kind of the common theme in which professions this would translate to is professions where we intimately take care of other people, dentists, podiatrists, nurses, doctors, therapists, physical therapists, all the professions. I'm not saying if you sell big screen TVs, you're not taking care of people, but it's just different. And if you sell big screen TVs and you don't like I said that, then maybe this isn't the podcast for you. And I don't know if that's even a profession, Is anyone just a big screen TV salesman anymore? doesn't matter. The name of this solo podcast today is The 10 Reasons Why Dentists Kill Themselves. This could be easily, again, wonderful name to a podcast. I told my wife that and she was like, wow, that is so warming. What a wonderful, positive way to run your podcast. Well, it's not her podcast, it's mine. But it could be just as easily named the 10 reasons why physicians kill themselves or the 10 reasons why anyone in healthcare kills themselves. And as I don't know if it's tongue in cheek, I'm not really being sarcastic. I had an interview with Jonathan, I think it's Benone. I keep saying his name, his last name wrong. He runs the chief psycho podcast. He was on my podcast a couple of months ago and he asked me why, I do what I do. And I told him I'm just so passionate helping people who are trying to live an honest life helping other people. So I really don't have any solutions in this podcast today. But if you can describe the problem or describe what's wrong, solutions will come out. I do have general ideas and how to fix these 10 problems, which I'll get to later. I'm not selling you anything. I'm getting into coaching for dentists, I'll say that now, but I'm not a therapist. If you feel suicidal, please call a suicide hotline. Please call a psychologist, a loved one, a friend. Do not kill yourself. There's no reason to kill yourself. You may be as sad as you are rock bottom, but please do not kill yourself. That's my disclaimer. I want to start with a story. I won't say his name. It's one of my dad's best friends growing up. We'll say Bob. That's not his real name. Bob would always tease my dad when I was younger. And Bob is a young son who's probably my age now that my dad was cheap. He would always tease my dad for living in a small house. My parents' house is probably 1,200 square feet. They still live in the same house I grew up in. He would tease or make fun of my dad for not having a nice car, for not having fancy clothes, 
just would always tease my dad for living a modest lifestyle. And that's, it bothered me as a kid. And I really thought as a kid, maybe my parents are really poor. Maybe this guy's right. Maybe I wish my dad made as much money as this guy. Well, they were good friends. They were in the same business about the same age. My dad sells steel for a living where his company, he'll buy steel overseas in like Ukraine was one of the places I went to with my dad. He'll buy steel overseas, bring it back to America, and then sell it to American companies. He's a middleman. He distributes steel. So I find out when I'm 19, I get a phone call from my dad, and Bob went to work one day, put garbage bags on the floor of his office, closed his office door, and shot himself in the heart, and he died. He killed himself. And while my dad didn't know all the details, one of the things that came out was that Bob was in massive debt, massive debt. Now, I don't know if Bob tried to kill himself or killed himself because he thought life insurance would pay off his debts. I'm pretty sure if you have life insurance, you kill yourself. That's one of the disclaimers in there where they're not going to pay for anything. So I'm not sure what he thought that would benefit. I know it didn't benefit his family. I know his family loved him regardless of how much debt he was in. But Bob killed himself because of money. So why do I tell this sad story? Because I know that dentists are out there and dentists kill themselves. Money is one of the issues. That's actually the first one we're going to talk about. But there is some debate. Is dentistry have a rate of the highest suicide? Is that a myth or is that real? I don't have my slides up here. I had some slides for this podcast, but it is true. If you look at the statistics, I think it is dentists and physicians have an 8% on average or was it eight times higher rate of killing themselves than the general population. I'll have to go back and look into that. But it's true, dentists and doctors, and I'm sure nurses and other healthcare professionals have a higher rate of killing themselves. Why? It's a lot of things. There's really no straight answer on that. So these 10 reasons I came up with, it's not black and white, this is the correct answer. It's just my guess. And the reason why, again, it's titled 10 Reasons Why Dentists Kill Themselves, because I'm a dentist. I can't speak to why 10 reasons why barbers kill themselves or 10 reasons why police officers kill themselves. But I say this because if you're a dentist and you're living an honest life and caring for people and doing your best, I hope this helps you. I do want to say, and I think a couple of my patients do listen to this podcast, I love 95% of my patients. And I'm not going to kill myself. I'm not depressed. And I'm not upset I have to treat these patients. I've been out for 10 years, and if you've been a dentist for longer than 5, 10 years, you start to attract patients that are like you and really nice patients. And I love my patients. When my sister was diagnosed with cancer last year, I opened up and told my patients, and they were really caring. We cried together. They sent me gifts. They wrote me letters. My patients are amazing. So I'm not going to kill myself because of my patients, but it's so important to get this message out there. Let's get started. The first reason why I think dentists kill themselves is money. And the same reason why I think my dad's friend Bob killed himself. It's hard because dentistry is in the free market kind of, for patients. Although patients have insurance, insurance doesn't cover much of dentistry. So dentists are kind of competing with Best Buy, Home Depot, big screen TVs, home projects, other things. 
most of the money people spend on dentistry is under what's called disposable income. We're not at the level of physicians where, yes, cosmetic procedures, breast implants, hair transplants, I'm assuming you're not covered by medical insurance. But if you have a brain tumor, it's covered by medical insurance, or at least it's somewhat covered by medical insurance, and people aren't using disposable income to pay for such procedures like that. But in dentistry, they are. So we're competing in the free market, which puts us at a weird level because when inflation goes up, when people have less disposable income, dentists can't alter their prices if they participate with insurance. And I'm not bragging, but I don't participate with insurance. I just got lucky. I bought a practice that didn't participate with insurance and I just maintained it for the past two or three years. But most dentists, most of my friends who are really good dentists participate with insurance. So here's a good example. My company that sends out email reminders to staff, not staff, to patients, and the company that sends out, I think it's notifications or something for my patients, just, oh, insurance claims. So although I don't participate with insurance, I still send your claims to insurance and the check goes to the patient's house. They pay me up front. It's called fee-for-service. That just went up 8%. They sent an email out and they said due to inflation, due to rising labor cost, due to rising everything cost, this company to survive had to raise their fees 8%. It's a good company. I'm not upset. It sucks, but it happens. So that puts me in a squeeze. Now, they're not the only company that's done that either. My supplies have gone up. My labor costs have gone up. My expenses at home have gone up. This is called inflation. Why does inflation happen? Fractional banking is probably the reason why. I'm not smart enough to explain anything else outside of that, but the value of the money in your bank account now, if you just keep it there, and let's say you get 1% or 2% back in a bank account, will be reduced. The buying power will be reduced because inflation, if it's 5%, is going to be more than what you get on interest on a 2%. So, if you have a dentist and you, and you participate with insurance, your dentist who participates with insurance, you can't raise your fees. And this is very stressful for dentists. Not because we're money-hungry dentists that want to raise our fees, but our margins are so thin. And it's very stressful because now it's our profit is out of our control. And another aspect, and we'll get back to this inflation, can't raise our fees. We're kind of in the free market, but we're handicapped. It costs a crap ton of money to be a dentist. That is the part that, although I intellectually knew as a young dentist, I didn't emotionally, tacitly know going in until like last year. You have to think about undergrad. How much money is undergrad? It's a lot. If you go to a public university, you'll save some money, but private schools are expensive. If you go to a private dental school, that's expensive. Let's say undergrad is 60000 when you're done. Some undergrad, I had a buddy that went to Notre Dame. He entered Notre Dame in 2005. It was fifty grand a year in 2005. I went to Oakland University, and I think even with living there, I had an apartment with my cousin. I think it was twelve grand a year <laughs> with living in classes. Twelve grand, so forty-eight thousand, fifty thousand for all four five years. That and that was twenty years ago. Let's just say a hundred thousand for undergrad. I saw that this year. I think. 
University of Southern California for dental school is a hundred grand or 110 grand a year. Not worth it. Don't be a dentist. Don't be a physician. If your training is a hundred and ten grand a year, unless you're going to come out making a million dollars a year, which you're not. Maybe neurosurgeons do. I don't know. So undergrads, a hundred thousand. Dental school, hundred thousand a year. We'll just say you're looking at five hundred thousand in debt before you start making money. That's a lot. That's a really nice house. Now you get out of dental school. You can work for somebody or you can buy a practice. Practices range. $500,000 to a million dollars. Let's just say you're spending $500,000 on a dental practice. So you have $500,000 in debt in education, $500,000 in debt for a dental practice. You're a million dollars in debt. And I'm not even talking you just bought a house. You just bought a car. This is not consumer debt. This is educational business debt. Is it good debt? That's debatable. Is business debt good debt? In my opinion, yes. If you're leveraged correctly and you have earning power, it's good. Is educational debt good debt? In my opinion, no. I hope I can convince my girls, I have four of them, not to go to college. Different podcasts. So, let's say you buy a house for five hundred thousand. You're one point five million dollars in debt. Day one out of dental school. How do you combat that? You have to work, work, work. And if inflation is going up, your ability to pay back this debt is less every year. And If you're stuck in insurance, you can't raise your fees to combat the reduced buying power of the dollar. So my supplies went up, my software went up, everything went up, my rent goes up, everything goes up. And if I participated in dental insurance, I couldn't raise my fees to increase my profit margins to dig myself out of a hole. And this is why one of the reasons dentists are depressed and they kill themselves because they can't out-earn their debt. They can't out-earn inflation. It's like the water is rising. It's like imagine you're in a pool, the water's rising, and you have weights stuck to your ankles. You can't get out of the water. That's very depressing and very frustrating. Not, I'm, not, I'm not saying because I'm fee for service, I'm, I raised my fees 10% and now I'm out of this problem. I have the same problems too. But at least I have control over my prices. It's difficult because America, and this is not political, is supposed to be capitalism free market. Maybe that's good, maybe that's bad, that's not for this podcast, but if you participate in insurance, you're not in a free market. Your prices are fixed and controlled and there's nothing you can do about it. And that's very depressing, frustrating. One of the reasons why people get depressed and kill themselves because they feel like they've lost all control, that they can't do anything to improve their situation. And when you participate in insurance, you can't raise your fees. All you can do is see more people at your razor-thin margins and do more work, which is not a way, working more is not a way to cure your depression, but that's the only way to get out of that soul-crushing debt. That's awful. I could talk the whole hour about this. We're going to move to the next one, but what's the solution for that? The solution for that is a couple things. Is drop your insurance. Just, you have to don't participate with insurance and build a practice where you're allowed to raise your fees. A second thing is, and this is hard for doctors and dentists, it's hard for me too, live way below your means. Have a lot of margin. If you take home 10 grand after taxes, if you take home 20 grand after taxes, live off half of that. 
and keep the other half for investments, vacations with your family, emergency fund. That's a lot of Dave Ramsey talk, but live way below your means, which is, it sucks because what they teach you in school, if you become a doctor, get ready to be rich. Get ready to be driving that Mercedes. Live below your means because the true happiness in life comes from your family, your loved ones, and doing stuff that you love to do. Money, money, save your money. Wealth equals freedom. The next one, isolation. So I'm going to have my good friend, Kevin Rem, who's a therapist, on this podcast mid-September. It may be my last in-person podcast I do. I'm not sure. But he speaks a lot about men that kill themselves. It's like all my friends are so depressing. But he's a therapist and he sees a lot of middle-aged men and older men. They're just depressed and they don't know what to do. And one of the reasons why he thinks they're depressed is because of isolation. And isolation is so common in dentistry. Most dentists work by themselves. So they're solo practitioners. I'm a solo practitioner. And although you have staff, although you have people you can confide into, it's um, you're alone. It's isolating. Robin Williams had this quote, the worst, the most unhappiest people are the ones that feel alone in a crowd of people. Very common for dentistry. We see patients all day. We take care of our staff all day. Then we go home. Rarely do we have other dentists that we're not competing with that we can confide into and open up. And as humans, we need that. We need community. It's in our genetics. It's in our blueprint. We need people we can talk to, people we can confide into. And a lot of dentists don't have this. And I know people fought me on this these stat before. When dentists do partner with other dentists, they have an 80 to 90% split rate, corporate divorce rate. I was in a corporate divorce. I had three other partners. They're all individuals that... I don't find desirable and they don't like me either. And we split. It sucks. So dentists feel isolated. We feel alone. It's very difficult. So for this, it's so important you find dentists you're not competing with to confide into. I've talked about this before. I have a couple dentists, two that come to mind. Pete Buckus, Kyle Pulasic, we talk daily. We barely talk about dentistry. But as professionals, if you're a doctor, if you're a nurse, you need to confide to have a group of like-minded people in a similar situation because there's no worse feeling than feeling alone and that nobody's going through what you're going through. My cousin, who I brought up earlier, who I live with in undergrad, he's very good at this. He's a nurse anesthetist. He has a group of nurse anesthetists that they meet maybe a couple times a month or a couple times a year. They go on golf outings. They really support each other. Maybe because they don't own the hospital and they kind of band against and group together to survive working for a hospital. Dentists don't have that. Dentists are lonely. Uh, when I was going through my corporate divorce, although I wasn't going through a love divorce with my wife, I was very lonely. And it wasn't until I found other dentists. So isolation is the second reason why I think dentists kill themselves. Jay Geyer, the CEO of the Scheduling Institute, I think they changed their name to Practice Growth Institute. I use them as consultants. They're really good. He always says, you're always like one or two decisions away from ruining your life. And the worst decisions you make are in isolation. How true is that? The worst decisions you make are in isolation. So please find a peer group, find a group of dentists, doctors, whoever's listening to this. You need to have a group you can confide into. I'm drinking this iced coffee from Whole Foods. Chameleon's the brand, organic cold brew. It is so good. 
Whole Foods does not give me a percentage, or I guess it's Amazon now, but I love coffee. The third reason dentists kill themselves, physical pain. Fingers crossed. I hate to even say this on my podcast. I don't have physical pain. I feel fine. I'm lucky. I'm sure I'll fall off a ladder doing non-dentistry stuff and break my neck. But I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't manifest that. But if you talk to most dentists, they have neck pain, back pain, shoulder pain, hip pain, pain. Dentists suffer from physical pain. Physical pain, acute physical pain, turns into chronic pain. And the problem with this Chronic pain in dentistry is so hard to stop once it starts because you have to go back to work the next day, perform the same physical functions, bending the same way that induced or caused the pain in the beginning. And I get into this later in the podcast. I think it's the 10th reason why. You can't do other things in dentistry to take make money. It's like, let's say you're a physician and I have a physician. He's a anesthesiologist and he actually left the hospital and does consultations for insurance companies and makes about the same amount of money as he did as anesthesiologist, which is nuts. Dentistry can't do that. So if I like break my back or have chronic pain as a dentist, I can't do something else in dentistry to make the same amount of income. And what does chronic pain sometimes lead to? Well, it definitely leads to depression. It definitely leads to frustration. But sometimes chronic pain leads to drug abuse. Why? Well, because you need the drugs, the painkillers to reduce the pain. Why? Just take a month off. You can't take a month off. Unless you have a trust fund, you have to keep going back into work. If you're back, if you hurt your back at work and you're a dentist and you are $1.5 million in debt, which we talked about, in the first reason why dentists kill themselves. What's your options? Sell your practice. Your disability insurance doesn't kick in for six months. It's not going to pick up your $1.5 million in debt. This is the problem. The debt you have as a dentist is a waterline rising that's very hard to get out from under. You can't raise your fees. You can't compete in the free market. You're depressed. You're isolated. Now your back is freaking killing you. And what do you have to do to get out of this mess? You have to go back to work and do the same things that were hurting your back, hurting your neck, and you have to produce yourself out of this. And what are you doing? You're taking drugs. You're taking painkillers to get through the day. Thank God I don't have this back pain. I don't have physical pain. But people listening to this do. I can think of five dentists right now. I don't want to say their names. Neck pain, back pain, hip pain, wrist pain. Awful. And I'm not saying other professions. If you get a physical injury, you're fine. Because you're not. Let's say you're a police officer, which I think is the absolute worst job to be. I have such respect for police officers. But in terms of the worst job you can have, I think police officers, number one, I don't know, maybe putting out fires, but I think a police officer is the worst job you can have. I feel for them. If they have physical pain, same thing. They can't do their job. And the chronic pain in dentistry leads to drug abuse sometimes. And then drug abuse leads to a whole other slew of problems. So one of the, th- the third reason why dentists kill themselves is chronic pain from the job. Let's be honest. This job is such a physically demanding job. I talked about this before. um, And actually, I heard this concept from Michael Appa. So it's not my idea. But when you are a dentist, you have to train your body like you're a professional athlete. You have to assume you're going to physical war every day as a dentist. You have to lift weights. You have to do stretching. You have to have cardiovascular fitness. You must train your body like you're a professional athlete if you want to survive dentistry. I just started doing this maybe six months ago. My two buddies, Pete and Kyle, they do this too. It's needed. 
If you're a dentist, please heed this advice. If you're a first-year dentist and you're feeling fine, please heed this advice. I don't know if you can avoid physical pain. You have to have good ergonomics. But like, listen, if you're trying to pull tooth 15 and you're worried about putting that pale root into the sinus, the last thing you're worried about is posture. Although posture is important, what's better than posture is bulletproofing your body, going into dentistry, keeping it strong. I'm not saying all these dentists out there or physical therapists that preach posture for dentistry is BS. It's not. But in conjunction with bulletproofing your body. So physical pain, if you want to avoid this or do your best to reduce it, get in shape, get strong, work out your core. Number four, and I feel this a lot. You know, I had Dr. Brittany Baker on my podcast. She's such a sweetheart. She's a young dentist, and I think she's from Kentucky, practices in North Carolina. I'm going to post her podcast, I think, next week. She said sometimes she wishes she did not have empathy or sympathy for patients. I've thought that before. If you work in healthcare, if you're a doctor, dentist, you thought this too. Sometimes you kind of wished you didn't give a shit about your patients. But the reason why you're a good dentist is because you do give a shit about your patients. I do too. But there's something called compassion burnout, where if you give too much of a shit about your patients and you take it home, you get burnt out. I talk a lot about what humans were designed for and not like it from a religious God standpoint, but from an evolution standpoint, uh, I got on this line of thinking maybe 10, 15 years ago when I started researching the paleo diet or the ancestral diet, where there's this idea that humans evolved to eat a certain way. And it's true. We, we've evolved to eat a certain way. It's a paleo diet. There's no, in my mind, there's no question about that. But we evolved to love a certain way. We've evolved to be in communities a certain way. And our brains and bodies are designed for a certain environment. We don't live in that environment anymore when it comes to food, comes to technology, everything. I think everything in our environment is designed to make us fat, sick, depressed, and want to kill ourselves. And being a dentist turbocharges that. And compassion burnout is a piece of that. I don't think humans are designed to see 20, 30, 40 people a day to do all these dental exams, to do treat all these people, to care for all these people. I don't think our brains can handle that. And I think this is another reason why dentists kill themselves because we're exposed to so many people during the day and some people, and this is me included and probably you because you listen to my podcast, we are such sensitive people. I'm not saying if you're not a sensitive person, you're a bad dentist, but some people are very sensitive. I'm super sensitive. Am I an empath? Who knows? Is that term even real? I don't know. But one of the reasons why I think we had this compassion burnout, because me included, we have difficulty separating sympathy and empathy. And if you get anything from this podcast, this is what you should take away. Empathy is what you want for your patients. Empathy means if your patient comes in sad, you validate and understand they're sad, and you communicate to them, you see them, you hear them, and you know they're sad. But you don't feel sad for them. Empathy is what makes people successful. There's a book called Verbal Judo. This guy was a police officer. No of a professor and then became a police officer and talked about the importance of empathy. Sympathy is totally different. Sympathy is when your patient feels sad, you absorb that emotion and you feel sad. You can't, you can't do that. I do that. You can't do that. Sympathy is when your staff member comes in, they're going through a hard time in their life and they dump on you and they tell you everything about their life and you feel frustrated and upset with them. That's not loving to yourself. It's not really even loving to them because it can cause you to burn out. You have to make a decision, and 
kind of give yourself permission to feel empathy for people, but know you're not a bad person if you don't feel sympathy for people. I work on this every day. I feel sympathy for my kids, my wife, and my very close loved ones because you can't avoid that. But people who aren't in your immediate circle, your immediate family, stop feeling sympathy for them and start feeling empathy for them because when you're empathetic, you can be more effective at solving their problem, more effective at creating solutions for them. This is why there's rules in hospitals. You can't operate on your family. You can't practice medicine on your family because you're sympathetic for your family. You can't draw that line and be empathetic. Very important distinction. If you want to avoid compassion burnout, try empathy, which is knowing their emotions, and don't be sympathetic for them. If someone breaks their tooth and they can't afford to fix their tooth, understand that's sad, but don't feel sad for them because that's going to destroy your life. I think I read this stat. On average, therapists live seven years less than the rest of the population because they are constantly absorbing the sadness of their clients. I told you guys I wasn't going to give you tips and advice, and I feel that every point I give you, I give you a piece of advice. If you don't like it, I don't care. Number five, we and I just read this in a Harvard Business article. We deal in what's called a emotionally charged customer, or we have emotionally charged interactions, which you intuit if you're a dentist or a doctor or any in healthcare, you intuitively know this. But when people are buying dental treatment from you, it's very emotional. One, because the treatment's going to be done on them. And although if you lose a tooth, it's not the end of the world, it's not like you got cancer, but it's a big deal. So one, the consequences are high if something goes wrong. Let's say I do 10 veneers on you and I overdrill your teeth, I overprep your teeth, and the veneers, they don't stay on, they're not retentive, they're not glued on correctly, and they pop off. That's a big deal. If you're a CEO of a company, if you're a regular person and your front teeth keep popping off, that's stressful. So there's a lot of emotion because they have to trust you to do that procedure. The second reason why it's high emotion because there is physical pain or physical discomfort involved with getting these services. Anything you're doing, you're getting a shot, you get your teeth drilled on, it's an irreversible procedure. The third reason why, it's not cheap. Even if the dentist participates with insurance, it's not cheap. And the fourth reason why is the outcome is kind of uncertain for the patient. Because although it's sometimes a straightforward procedure, it doesn't always go right. There's complications. You can get paresthesia. You can get trismus. You can lose a tooth. The drill could get too hot, land someone's lip, and burn their lip. So I keep going back to big screen TVs. And if you sell big screen TVs, I don't mean to be putting you down. But we as dentists deal with emotionally charged customers. Go look this up. That is stressful from our perspective because there's so much responsibility on our end, not only to produce a good product, not only to take care of the emotion, but also to be with that patient after. And we're married to the procedure. If I do a crown on you and the crown falls off next week, you have to come back and I have to do it. That's stressful. If I sell you a big screen TV and the TV breaks, although the customer would be mad you sold them a lemon you didn't know it was a lemon, probably not. You didn't make the TV. So you're not the one. You can always blame Best Buy for stocking bad TVs. If a crown falls off or I give you paresthesia or the drill accidentally drills into your lip, I can't blame the drill. It's on me. And patients feel this. They know this. So dealing with emotionally charged customers, we'll call them patients, clients, all day for your entire career will lead to burnout if you don't have empathy and only sympathy. So those are two tied together, but 
most interactions, unless you're an orthodontist, I'm just joking, most interactions are charged. And you, that's a battle. I absorb it. It's so hard not to. You have to be a psychopath not to absorb that. That's taxing on dentists. And that's another reason why they kill themselves. Number seven, Google. And I'm sure Google won't sue me for this. I use Google all the time. I love Google. But I think Google is another reason why dentists kill themselves. Why? Not because they're stealing all their information and recording everything. But let me break this down. Google adds another layer of stress or complexity to your practice that didn't exist 20 years ago. And like I said before, humans were evolved and our brains are designed for a certain environment. And Google totally blows that out of the water. Why is this? You work on a patient, something bad happened, or let's even say this. You work on a patient and everything goes fine, but patient didn't like it. They leave you a bad review because of HIPAA and HIPAA is good. You don't want people putting your information out there. You really can't defend yourself on Google. Someone I had a patient three years ago. Oh my gosh. She wrote such nasty things about me online or he or they. And although I got the review taken down every time, this patient went on every review site, Google, Yelp, WebMD, everything, WebDDS, it's not even a thing, and left hundreds of terrible reviews. And I had to go over the this time frame and take all these reviews down and every time I got them taken down this person put them back up so I couldn't defend myself I could just try to get these taken down the reason why this makes dentists kill themselves is because it in our brains public shame is one of the worst things we can go through dentists feel humans feel public shame will translate to physical pain it's painful it's physically painful our brain the same area of our brain that causes the lights up when you have physical pain is the same area of the brain that lights up when you have public shame so not only does this patient hate you which already hurts and not only did you try your best but it didn't go the way you wanted to now everybody knows you made a mistake this is why i feel like being a celebrity is awful like if you have a bad movie or if you're a celebrity and if you gain weight or got like lettuce in your teeth, everybody knows the next day. I don't think humans can absorb that. I think that's like too hard for our brains to handle. And dentists, we don't have the benefits of being a celebrity, but when we make mistakes, if they go online, that is so stressful. Restaurants are stressful. Anything, Google is the reason why any small business owner would kill themselves because any little mistake you make, if a customer or patient wants to put it online, you don't have much defense. You know, they say, yeah, the positive reviews will kind of drown it out, but it's still stressful to know that your mistakes are public. And that wasn't in dentistry 20 years ago. Even when I first graduated in 2014, Maybe Angie's List. <laughs> you guys remember that? You could review dentists, but Google makes your mistakes public, which is very anxiety-producing. And this leads into something that's like a another layer of complexity with treatment. Sometimes what you say or do for a patient is dictated by your fear of a bad review. And... Although people always say the port of, the court of public opinion brings out the good in society, it's not always the case. It's not. Sometimes the people who are in the court of public opinion are a bunch of freaking idiots. But professionals like doctors and dentists sometimes have a catered to the court of public opinion to avoid bad reviews because bad reviews not only make you feel crappy, hurt your business too i i don't have a good answer for google because you need google 
because Google is how patients find you. Um, you know, it's, the ADA will tell you it's not ethical to entice patients to give you Google reviews with gifts. Um, you can just ask them, I guess, and say, if you had this great experience, give me a review. But there's always that fear. You go online and you check your reviews and you got a couple bad ones. People see that and it reduces your business. It reduces your new patient flow and it makes you feel like a piece of crap because you can't defend yourself. So Google is another reason why dentists kill themselves. What's my advice for this? I don't know. Don't check your reviews, but if you don't check your reviews and you have 10 bad reviews, then you can't really get ahead of that. Boundaries. The eighth reason why dentists kill themselves is boundaries. In my almost 10 years of being a dentist, I've given my cell phone to every patient, almost every patient. Um, there were a couple of years where I didn't do it because based on kind of the location I worked at, but in my 10 years, I've only had one dentist, not dentist, one patient that I thought was going to show up in my house and like blow up my mailbox. I've only had one patient in my 10 years that crossed over, violated every boundary, everyone possible. Even if I wasn't their dentist and I was their friend, violated every boundary possible for a person. This person just must be a miserable person. Only one in 10 years. But I've heard horror stories. And if you kind of tie Google back into boundaries, you can find everyone, anyone, anywhere. I have a friend, this person's a physician, and They've had people find their home address, and that's stressful. I'll tell this story because my cousin, I have a cousin who's a famous author, childhood, child book author. He wrote a book that Barack Obama read on Easter morning with his daughters. It was, I think it's called a famous, a sick day for Amos McGee. Great book. If you, his name's Philip Stead. He's a, one of my favorite cousins. He has, a, he has a wife. She's a good-looking person. She's also a famous child's illustrator. And when they first got famous, she developed or caught the eye of a stalker. And he would send her lipstick and say, please wear this lipstick. And people would come to my cousin's house after he got famous. And it wasn't like children who read their books. It's funny. The people that would come to my cousin's house were other people who were aspiring childhood authors that wanted my cousin to like read their books or give them an in. But now you can find anyone anywhere. And the boundaries between you and your clients, you and the public are gone. Absolutely gone. Dentists have a hard time, at least I do, drawing a boundary between you and patients. I give my patients my cell phone number because I want them to contact me. I want them to be able to send me a quick message on a Sunday and say, like, this is bothering me. Is this an emergency or not? I want them to have that ability, and most people respect it. But if you, it's hard, because I had a patient. I didn't return their phone call on a Sunday. And actually, Monday morning, this person called the office and told me he was upset with me because I didn't call him back. He crossed a boundary. I stopped there. He apologized for saying that. But dentists, me included, you included, we have a hard time drawing boundaries. We feel bad. Because if somebody, let's say you do a crown and that tooth has pain on it and it's Saturday and they need a root canal, what do you do? And you're home and you could go into work. You could do that root canal. But you want to stay home with your family. You just worked 50 hours that week. So what do you, that's a good question. What do you do? Do you go into work and do the root canal and I don't want to say ruin, but ruin the time with your family and ruin your weekend? Or do you make that patient wait till Monday to get the root canal? But you're the reason 
Why the two-thirds? Not really, because they're the reason, because they had the decay. But <clears throat> the procedure you did accelerated them into pain. So let, let's ask that question again. So I kind of stumbled through that. It's Friday morning. Patient comes in. You do a zirconia crown on 30. Same day, Sarek. Glue it on. Beautiful. Send them home. Bites perfect. They call you Saturday morning. Doc. I'm in so much pain. I don't know what to do. And you know that antibiotics and anti-inflammatories and narcotics don't touch some root canal pain. Doc, I'm in unbearable pain. Can you please help me? Can you come in on a Saturday morning, start a root canal? I can't make it through the weekend. But you've been planning for six months to take your family to a water park. This is even a better situation because the water park's not far. You're not out of town. What do you do? Do you cancel the summer fun with your kids and wife or husband to go to the root canal? Or do you tell that patient, I can't see you. I will see you. Monday morning, here's some antibiotics, good luck. That's a difficult decision. The solution to that is practice biomimetic dentistry, and most of your patients won't have that problem. I don't have a good answer for that. I'll tell you, the more and more I practice, the more and more I lean towards, I'll see you Monday. I don't know if that's the right decision, but I think it's so easy for a dentist not to draw that boundary and to go into work seven days a week. I know a dentist. I try to keep everyone anonymous I talk about. Most of their career, they'd go in, and I think they regret it because they spent most of their life, although they're loved by their patients, this person is not probably loved by their kids and their family. So I don't have a good answer for that. The best answer is practice biomimetic dentistry. And your answer may be, well, Vince, you're a dummy. Get a partner, split the call, and be available for your patients. But if you go back up to number two, isolation, I talked about 80 to 90% of partnerships blow up. So you're saying, Vince, don't be stupid. Ask dentists in your area to cover the weekends. Maybe I should do that. But I haven't yet, and I'm going to probably start. So, and then plan your vacations around the weekends you're not on call. That's the answer. Create boundaries. It's very difficult to break them. You're not a bad person for maintaining and creating your boundary. Number nine. This is a good one. Laura Brenner talked about this on our podcast with her. She's uh, She left dentistry. She went viral 10, 12 years ago for writing an article called The 10, Denti- the Ten Reasons Why Dentists Hate You. I don't hate you if you're a patient. I love you. I have 10 reasons why I think you're amazing. But the ninth reason why dentists kill themselves, it is so freaking hard to leave this profession. Why? Couple reasons. Number one, you've heard this before, the golden handcuffs. If you're a dentist and you're listening to this and you no longer practice clinical dentistry, but you found something else to give you the same level of income and lifestyle that you were as a dentist, please call me. Please come to my house. Please tell me your secrets. Because every dentist I've talked to that has left clinical dentistry, and I don't know, let's, let's take out, left, let's just say left dentistry completely. Every dentist I know that has left dentistry completely does not make as much money as they did when they were clinical dentists. Maybe I know a couple dentists that own dental practices, don't do clinical dentistry and make as much. I don't know them personally, though, so I'm only guessing by the Lamborghinis they post on their Instagram. But that's called the golden handcuffs. And it's so freaking hard to be 45. Let's say you make 250. You have a couple kids, a mortgage. It's hard to pull back 
your lifestyle. There's a podcast I just started getting into called the this is called the Dentist Money Show, where they talk about dentists do not reduce their lifestyle. People in general don't reduce it. So once you have the BMW, you don't go back to the Volvo. I have a Volvo. I'm not going to BMW. Once you have the summer cottage in northern Michigan, you don't sell it. Once you start drinking organic, single-source coffee, you don't go back to Folgers. Once you have a personal trainer, you don't go back. You get the gist. Once you fly first class, you don't go back to coach. So it's like a herpes. Like once you catch the herpes of a luxurious lifestyle, it is near impossible to get rid of it. Golden handcuffs. So it's so difficult to leave this profession because once you have the million dollar house, there's a large, large chance you ain't going back to the $500,000 house. Alan Stern, who I had in this podcast, talks about that, that the best advice, and I gave this advice number one, live below your means. The second thing is our profession is so technical and this isn't a negative viewpoint, but our skills aren't really translatable to other professions. My wife's an attorney, graduated in 2013, and I think half her class, if not more of her class, are no longer attorneys, but an attorney has such translatable skills. A lot of her friends went into business, consulting. Anything. I have friends that worked at GM, which is a car company, you know, General Motors. Then they went, to, they lateral, they moved to other companies because their skills are translatable. When you, dentistry is a trade, it's a professional trade. It's hard to get that trade to translate into something else. It is so hard to leave dentistry. There's a, Laura Brenner runs a Facebook group called Dental Side Gigs where people, Right on their Facebook group, I've been trying to leave dentistry for 10 years and I haven't been able to. Dentistry is so hard to leave, which is, if you think about it, it's depressing. Not that dentistry is a bad profession, but you make the decision at 22 or I think I was 23 when I entered dental school. And most likely, unless you hit the lottery or reduce your lifestyle or you you dive into a pool and break your neck and get paralyzed, <laughs> you're probably not going to leave the profession. It's so hard to. And to make a decision at 22 that you're not, you're gonna, the rest of you hate the career, the rest of your life is going to work as a dentist, that's why people kill themselves. That's why dentists kill themselves because they feel like there's no way out. I think now in 2023, it's probably, if you don't have massive amounts of debt, it might be easier to leave the profession because there's more things you can do to make money. There's more ways to make money online. Right now, this podcast makes $0 a month. So I'm not leaving dentistry because of this podcast. But um, I think there's more you can do. If you're depressed, again, don't kill yourself. But I think not be, making it super difficult to leave the profession is another reason why dentists kill themselves. Number 10. And I could talk a full hour about this next one. And I think I'm going to create another podcast about this one. Liability as a dentist, professional licensing as a dentist, it's stressful. Here's why, and it's not political, but the best example to bring up is Jordan Peterson. Love him or hate him. He's a controversial guy, I guess. I really like him. I think he has a good message. Because of what he talks about, because of what his mission to improve the lives of everyone, Canada, the Psychological Canadian Board of Psychologists, I'm not sure what it is called, is trying to take away his license. And he's lucky. He doesn't practice psychology anymore. But think of this because of his political views his board wants to take away his license and if he was a psychologist take away his ability to practice reason magazine talks about this a lot and they're worried about this in the future but let's say you're a dentist and you did something 
the board doesn't like. They could take away your license. You say, well, I don't want to be a dentist anyway. That's fine. But let's say you're a million dollars in debt. You have kids in college. Your wife or husband doesn't work. You're the sole breadwinner. And let's say you get a DUI. You make a mistake. DUIs are terrible because you could kill someone. But the board of dentistry says, because you got that DUI, we're going to take away your license. What do you do now? At that point, you have to declare bankruptcy. I think there's some states in America, I think Ohio's one of them, you can own a dental practice if you don't have a dental license. I think Arizona's another one. I guess you could do that. Or let's say you're a dentist and you're very passionate about a certain topic. Let's just say you're let's say you're you're passionate about pro life. And let's just say you have a very liberal board and they don't like you're out there marching and they take your license away. That's stressful. And I'm not saying all dental boards are liberal and all dentists are conservative, but it, it, it leans that way for dental boards. I'm not saying being liberal is bad or being conservative is good. But you had this group of individuals that can dictate your ability to practice your profession, which is stressful. And the other side of this is the liability issue because if you're a dentist, unless you're working on sedated patients, which blows my mind. If you're a dentist and you do sedation, I think you're insane. I think you're crazy. How can you sedate people and work on them and not poop your pants out of fear that something bad's going to happen? I have no, I I guess I have respect for you if you're doing it right, but like you have balls of steel if you're a dentist and sedating people. That liability is too high for me. But you're working on people who are awake, which is stressful enough. And it's hard to do A-plus work on people that are very hard to work on. But the board, the lawyers who are suing you, they don't see that. They don't even care. So let's say you do a dental procedure on a patient who's so hard to work on. You can't refer it out. You can't refer out a crown. And you don't do your absolute best job. Maybe margins open, contacts light, something happens. And you do substandard dentistry, but you did your best. You can still get in trouble from the board. You can still get sued. And while this is difficult to swallow, it was... It's out of your control. You did your absolute best. What happened was out of your control and you still got severely punished for it. That's a reason why dentists, doctors, surgeons, people kill themselves because you did your best. You had the best intention. You tried to help somebody and you still got in trouble by the board or you got sued. That's depressing. That's like the crux of... No good deed goes unpunished. So there's a theme with all these items. It's when things feel out of your control, you start to get depressed and want to kill yourself. Don't do it. Don't do it. Life is precious. In my opinion, human life is the most important thing on planet Earth you should take care of your life, take care of the life of all your loved ones. I've had a couple of patients that have killed themselves. One comes to mind. I had a friend in high school that he got in some trouble after high school and college, ended up killing themselves. It happens. I don't know the stats of who killed themselves, but if you're listening to this and you're depressed and you're sad, please don't do it. Please seek out help. Please call a professional. People love you. I love you. Suicide in dentistry and healthcare, it's awful. Suicide in any part of life is awful. When you kill yourself, you ruin the lives of the people you love the most. And you wouldn't want to do that. Sometimes 
suffering is a noble thing to do because you are not hurting or ruining the lives of the people around you. I'm not saying you should suffer either. You should definitely seek out help for that too. But when I was talking to JB, the host of the Chief Psycho Podcast, which I talked about earlier, he asked me why I do this because the podcast makes $0 a month. Actually, it's negative. I have such compassion, passion for people like you that are trying to earn an honest living helping people. You're not scamming insurance. You're not scamming people. You invested 10 years of your life in training, millions of dollars, sweat. You sacrificed why so you could get out, you could help people. And you're depressed and you got to change something. You got to get help. I have passion for you. I have compassion for you. I love you. This is the end of the podcast. Um, I did want to say I started a coaching business for dentists called Vince Buscemi Coaching. I'm not a therapist. Don't come to me if you need a therapist. But I've been through a lot in a couple of years. I have some wisdom. I have some ideas on how to curb these 10 areas why people kill them dentists kill themselves and maybe in the next podcast i'll talk about the the five ways you can combat these the five areas of mastery you need to master i'll tell you the time your time your physical health your mental health your relationships and your money you master those five i think you'll be better off thank you so much for listening i love these solo podcasts some people go golfing for a hobby some people, I don't know what they do for hobbies. I love this. For some reason, it lights my soul up. I feel like this is my mission. Thank you for listening. I love you guys, and I'll talk to you guys soon. This has been the Dr. Vince Buscemi Podcast, the survival guide for dentists, and I do it for you guys. Have a great day. Bye.